two weeks ago. I don't know what it was, but I sense the spirit of the Lord here at Freedom, okay? And I'm thankful for that. But two, two weeks ago, as we were in Romans chapter 2 and finishing up a pretty heavy passage of Scripture, as I was preparing during the week, I was quite excited. This is good truth. This is needed truth for us to hear. But what the Spirit of God did, it was very real. You guys, I could tell, were just still before God. And there was a conviction that was God, God was bringing to each and every one of us. And that's something, guys, that I want to encourage you in as believers. Conviction, I think, is one of the greatest gifts that we have from the Holy Spirit. I am so thankful for the gift he is to me in my life. Because our God is a heavenly Father that loves us much. And he's given us the Spirit as a helper who will guide us into truth, who will sound the alarm <laughs> when need us, needed to tell us to turn around, get out <laughs> there, who will convict us when needed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17, correct? Yeah. Correct. So as we're studying this epistle, which God has found and ordained to be part of his word, the word of God, as we're studying this epistle, this letter to these Romans 2,000 years ago, to the believers there, we are gleaning today, and it's working in us also. I'm in awe that we can sit here and study verse by verse through a letter that was written that long ago, and it still is relevant to us today. Why? Because his word is spirit. Do you guys understand that? And you who are born again of the spirit are spiritually discerning. So when we sit and the word of God is taught, is read, and we fall under a conviction, this is a spiritual thing that is happening. Do you understand that? And it is a good thing. It is a right thing. I want to share one story with you before we jump into chapter 3, and it goes back to chapter 1 of Romans. You guys remember the second study we did in Romans 1? We considered how our minds become debased, how immoral our culture can become, that we begin to approve things that are sinful. And I want to share a story with you and how the Word of God does convict and you guys know that I got to uh, serve as chaplain for Outagamie County for a season of my life. I loved it. I miss it. I love going and sharing the Word of God with anybody who is willing to listen and to hear. And something about men and women when they're incarcerated, they know where their sin got them. They're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. They want to know what God has to say. So, with overseeing the chaplaincy, we had about 40 to 50 volunteers, and part of my job was to train our volunteers. Well, I did a lot of trainings, dozens and dozens of them over the year, years, and I want to share with you one man that I met with. Uh, a lot of you guys are familiar with the Freedom Center Food Pantry. I'd often meet downtown because before you're trained, you're not allowed to come into the jail, so I'd have to meet them off-site somewhere. 
to go through training. So if somebody wants to be a volunteer with Fox Valley Jail Ministry, they fill out an application. I look over the applications. About half of them, I say, nope, now's not the time. Grown the Lord some more. <laughs> we'll talk in a year. Um, but some, it's just like, hey, let's get together. Want to know where you're at? Want to hear your story? Well, I'm meeting with this man. We had a, a scheduled meeting for training um, at the food pantry. Well, I see him pull up in the parking lot, and I go down to the door because it was locked to let him in. And as he's opening the door, we introduce, shake hands. I'm like, hey, follow me. We're going to head upstairs here to the office. And as we're headed up, um, the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, this man's a homosexual. Okay. What do I do with this, Lord? We sit down, and now I'm praying. Like, okay, here I'm in to do some training for this guy to do ministry. Okay, and the Lord has something else planned here. We sit down, and before I even say a word, he says to me, I need to tell you something. I wasn't planning on telling you this today when I came, and I haven't told many people, but I feel like I need to tell you. And he shared with me that he was a homosexual. And the dialogue began. And we began to talk. You see, his story was he came to faith in Christ while he was in prison himself. And during that time, he had been a pen pal with someone who was a believer. And they were back and forth. And this believer was affirming of the homosexual lifestyle for a Christian. So this was his discipleship being new in Christ Jesus. When he first got out, even though he had been discipled under this person, he wanted to hear it from a pastor. So he went to a church in Winnicottie that she, the mentor, had been going to to have a sit-down meeting. And this pastor also was affirming of this sin. So here's a man now out for about a year who is trying to walk with the Lord, is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but those who are in authority over him spiritually have told him sin is okay. Now, what I told him, it doesn't matter what she said, what he, pastor, said, or what I say to you concerning homosexuality. And I pulled my Bible out, I asked him to turn to Romans chapter 1 and I asked him to begin to read. I handed him my Bible. I didn't say a word. He just began to read and the Holy Spirit entered that room, guys, and fell in a radical way and this man just began to weep. Not a word I said about what was right and wrong. The word of God, which is authoritative, which is truth, he read for himself, and the Spirit dropped that truth into his heart, and there was a beautiful repentance in brokenness in knowing what was right and wrong in that moment. Guys, again, it is the Word of God that is truth. It is the Word of God that is authoritative. And there are times where the Spirit of God is speaking truth to you and I, Two weeks ago in Romans 2, I was preaching to myself. I prepare hours and hours 
to bring the word of God. And as I'm sharing the word of God, I'm like, where is this coming from? What is this truth? Why are you dropping it into my heart in such a convicting, convincing way, Father? It's because his word is authoritative. And some of you guys are like, Pastor, man, you preach with authority. No, I don't. Okay? I will preach unapologetically the truth of God's word, but it is his word that is authoritative. It's what we do with his word that matters. Are we going to humble ourselves and say, God, you are right? Because we can be convicted all day long. What matters is what we do with that conviction. Do we humble ourselves and say, God, you're right? Even though I see others, brothers and sisters of mine in Christ, doing this or that, you've said this, and I'm going to do what you say. So I say all that to jump into chapter 3 with you guys. And any of you guys who are familiar with Romans, chapter 3 is beautiful. It's where we begin the Romans road that we so often share with unbelievers. How many of you guys have shared the Romans road with somebody? Awesome. How many of you guys don't even know what the Romans road is? Raise your hand. Be truthful. Praise God. I will hand it out in two weeks to you guys. It's a bunch of different scriptures working through the book of Romans, just a handful of them, but it really lays out the gospel and what you need to do. In chapter 3 begins with the scripture sharings. And as you guys who've studied the word of God know chapter 3, it's a whole lot of bad news. But before we get to the gospel, the good news, there's got to be bad news. So as we jump into chapter 3, it may get a little heavy again this morning, but know that this truth about who we are in our standing before God, yeah, we're sinners, guys. That could be the message this morning. You're all a bunch of sinners. Praise the Lord, amen, let's go home. <laughs> but there's a reason why God took the time to explain these things and lay these things out for you and I. So even the title, you guys see this here? Here, let me see if I can, hey, guys at home can see it, right? You're sinful, I'm sinful, we're all sinful, okay? Anyone disagree with that? All right. It's good. Otherwise, I was going to leave the 99 and go after the one this morning. And if that ever happens on a Sunday morning where, Pastor, I know you teach verse by verse, you get in, you dive in, you stick to the theme, you don't get on your you know, soapbox, you're going to teach what the Word of God says, but why are you so gospel heavy this morning? Why do you keep going there? It's probably because there's one here and the Lord says right now, you're going after that one. They need to hear the full gospel right now. So if you see that happening, brothers and sisters, you start praying. Lord, don't know who's here or who's listening online, but they need to hear the gospel right now. Be praying, saints. So I'd love to start with a story to lighten things up a little bit. You guys know what this is? microscope, right? Uh, I want to share this story because it, it's awesome, because it really speaks to our dilemma, especially for those who don't know God. Um, many are like this Hindu man who thought he had stored up for himself many good works, especially in that he was proud. He had, he had never eaten any animal substance. You guys know that's a big deal for them, okay? We have a lot of Indians, Hindus in the world who are starving to death because a cow is right there, you know, walking by, reincarnated, okay? Um, the missionary, okay, sharing with him, told him that it was impossible 
Because every time he drank water, he was swallowing thousands of tiny living creatures. He did not believe it. So the missionary put a drop of water under a microscope for him. The man, guys, saw it and he broke the microscope. This is how he dealt with the dilemma. And how many of us are guilty of the same thing? I don't like that truth. I want to, if you would allow me today, this morning, in this place, um, all of man's goodness, we're going to look at under a microscope, under the law of God. I just ask that as we look and see that even sinful thought, okay, one sinful thought, it destroys. It destroys our hope of salvation through our personal goodness. Now, um, I'm changing the cameras. Um, so as we look at this and consider this this morning, we all have a choice. You can choose to make things right with God or you can break the microscope. You guys know that's your choice. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Whether you're in Christ or not, because this truth, it needs to be dealt with by all of humanity. Now, in chapter 2, Paul was calling a Jew a non-Jew and non-Jews Jews. You guys remember? Okay, so that's kind of what's been built up to this point. A true Jew really is a matter of the heart. That is what we've been taught in Romans. Not nationality or circumcision or some religious affiliation. We could liken it to many who have grown up in the church, who hold their church membership, their baptism certificate. Okay, um, Paul here heads off their most probable questions at this pass. So let's take a look together at verse 1 in chapter 3. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them uh, were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true in every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? And as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. 
So in verses 1 through 8 here, guys, there are four objections. Did you catch them? Which are raised against the gospel. Rhetorical questions. And I want to look at these with you guys for a moment. The first one that we saw was a Jewish advantage. Again, verse 1, what did it say? What advantage has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because they were committed the oracles of God. So being born Jewish didn't give them a right standing before God. Okay, We've been taught that clearly thus far in Romans. But being God's covenant people did indeed give them some certain advantages, right? You see, much in every way. He mentions one here, and if you want to flip to chapter 9, verse 4 really quick, there's a few more advantages that the Jew has. He adds, who are, Israel, who are the Israelites? To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the service of God, and the promises. So we see the Jewish people, they've been given a lot of advantages. Now, they were given the oracles of God, and I think this is the coolest thing. A year ago, I was in Israel, and we got to see the cave where the Dead Sea Scrolls were held. And looking and learning of them and how the scribes took the word of God so seriously and how it was handed down from generation to generation. The care of God's scriptures, the word of God. Well, hasn't it been tampered with? Hasn't been messed with over the ages? And to have a find like this and to take the Bible we have today and look back there and, oh boy, it's exactly the same. How awesome it was for them to have the care of the scriptures, that responsibility. Also, guys, the Old Testament, it contains the inspired record of God's faithfulness for the Israelites looking back to his faithfulness to their people over all those generations. It also sets forth the law. God's standard for living was given to the Jewish people. It records the prophecies in the poetry that really reveals to you and I the nature of who God is. It also foreshadows and foretells us of Jesus Christ. So they were the recipients, they were the guardians of such a treasure. We, Christians in America, we have similar advantages than the rest of the world. I think English has more translations of the Bible probably than any other language, right? Okay, I pull up my app and it's just like, all right, let's scroll through all of these and check out all these translations. Man, on my little bitty smartphone here, man, hundreds of translations of the Word of God. And for us who don't like to read a whole lot, guess what? It will even read to us. I mean, how cool. Get the Word of God. But think about it, guys. 2,500 um, have some form of the Bible, different languages in the world, leaving 4,400 without scripture scription portions available to them. And that's representing 634 million people do not have access in their native tongue to the Word of God. 
Man, I'm so glad we have so many translations that we hired and raised money to get another translation into English for us. Man, we're selfish. We got some good ones. Stop wasting money on new translations. Let's take that money and actually get the Word of God into a language for people who don't know the Word of God. All right, no soapboxes. The Word of God is important, right? We read what God is like as we open the Scriptures. And so many people, that's the biggest question. Who's God? What is He like? <laughs> Pick it up and read. Get to know Him. Get to know what He's like. And we know from the Word of God what is required for salvation. And that is the only thing that matters in this life, guys. The only thing. When all is said and done and you breathe your last, you will stand before your Maker. And the only thing that's going to matter is, are you saved? Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior? Are your sins forgiven or not? That's the only thing. We're all going to die, guys. Sonny's uncle passed yesterday. I had a cousin who passed a few days ago. That's part of life. We're all going to die. And what we did with Jesus is the only thing that matters in this life, guys. So, let's move on to the second one. God's faithfulness. It's called into question. Look at verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may become or overcome when you are judged. Um, so, let's go back to chapter, well, we won't go there. Someone's going to preach you this morning, we don't have time. But for those who didn't believe, we saw in chapter 2, verse 5, why. But I want us to remember the study from last time, okay? It proclaimed there in verses 21 to 24 that the law uh, it was proclaimed fervently to the Gentiles, but they weren't practicing it very well. Okay, so even the Gentile world, the Jews had it. The Gentile world had heard of the God of Israel, okay, what he required. You guys understand, sinful actions of humans, uh, they do not nullify the faithfulness of God. So there weren't faithful, they weren't faithful in regards to the covenant with God. And when this says certainly not, um, or let it not happen, uh, it means let it not happen, or by no means, God forbid, far from it, may it never be. So it's very strong language when he says certainly not here. Um, so God gave the Jews some uh, special promise and position, but some of them are under condemnation. So this doesn't mean that God broke his promise and thus showed himself unfaithful. Certainly not, is what the scripture is telling us. You guys get that? Don't even let your head go there, in other words. So what it does show is that there's no favoritism with God. That's the point. You guys get that? It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. No favoritism. Okay? The best proof of it is his absolute justice is that he punishes sin wherever he sees it. 
doesn't matter who does it, where it's happening, all sin is punished. Third thing, is God's wrath uh, fair? Okay. Um, look at verse 5. But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? So God's justice here now is pulled into question. Um, the moral governorship of the universe was at stake in such absurd charge here. Okay, Shouldn't even go there. It doesn't make any sense. Look at the next one. The fourth thing. Won't my sinfulness help to contrast God's holiness? Again, verse 7 tells us what? It says, For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. So wait, <laughs> don't my lies cause the truth of God to abound to his glory? <laughs> That's the argument that some were making, right? You see, guys, I'm still being condemned as a sinner. That's the question. Am I? Yes, okay? Um, God does not need our evil to contrast his goodness. You guys understand that? Doesn't need that. Rather, he wants our goodness to reflect his likeness. Be holy as I am holy. That's how you ought to walk. Is that possible? Do I have to sin? No, that's your choice. You guys understand that? He set you free. Do the math. Reckon yourself dead to sin. We're going to read later on in Romans. We have that choice, guys. You understand that? No one makes you sin. That's your choice. So, um, did we look at all four? Nope. Yeah, praise God. Um, I, love, <laughs> I love Paul. You see how he just simply responds to these questions? Like, their condemnation is just and deserved. We don't have to apologize for the truth of who God is and that he is just. Do you guys get that? We don't need to apologize. He's God. He's calling the shots. It is what it is. This is what God's word says. So summary thus far, the Jews are a privileged people because of God's covenant with them. The rejection of him by a great number doesn't nullify God's promises. And the sinfulness of humanity doesn't diminish the character of God. You guys get the picture? Good. Now, the gavel of guilt. Boom. Man, cool gavel. Um, how many of you guys have been in court? How many of you guys saw the judge use the gavel? How many of you guys saw the gavel be used more than once in the court? Yeah, I've been in a few of those. Anyways, I love this. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. 
As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There are none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. And those are whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we know this definitely isn't Paul's pearl necklace that we read of in 1 Corinthians 13, is it? We call this Paul's peril, okay? (laughs) Um, And he quotes a bunch. I got the quotes up here for you guys. He quotes a bunch of the Psalms and the prophet Isaiah uh, in this statement. But here, we lift off the lid, guys. The septic tank of the sinful humanity, right? Let's take a look in here, or the toxic tank of transgressions. Call it what you will. The point is, we are sinful. Period. So why do we have to study this? Pastor, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus. I know that I need him as my Savior. I know he alone can forgive my sins because of what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. I know that there is eternal life in him. I know this. So why study this? I'm so glad you guys asked. Because how are we going to understand salvation unless we understand what we've been saved from? Do you understand? This is some pretty bad news, but it's good news. Do you understand how sweet of a salvation you and I have? How amazing his grace truly is. You guys, it's understanding the word of God here. This is why we will ask for mercy. If we don't believe we deserve judgment, why would we ever ask? And how can we be thankful for the work of Christ if we don't think or if we think we can work it out for ourselves. And how will we be amazed at God's grace if we're not appalled by our sin? So Paul here pronounces a verdict of Scripture upon man in his fallen condition. So I picture here... Yeah, I'm messing the slides up. <laughs> I'm picturing a judge here, guys, ready with the gavel to fall. Are we Jews better than they? Gentiles? No. Not better off. Okay? Nor at any disadvantage. Why? Because we're all under sin. You guys get that? All under sin. Not sins. Sin under the dynamic power of sin. 
In other words, our old nature. So Paul is, uh, <laughs> is he giving us a new concept here? Nope. I want to share with you guys, you can jot down Genesis chapter 8. We'll be here in a month as we're studying through Genesis. But I want to take a look ahead a little bit with you guys at Noah. You guys know he built an altar, right? Look at verse 20. Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a smoothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination, the intent or thought of man's heart is evil from his youth. So here the gavel falls three times, right? Character, communication, conduct. The septic system of mankind is full. And we need to lift off the cover. I want you guys to hold your breath here. It's going to stink. Um, I think uh, Turgenev, he's a Russian poet, um, I think he hit it right on the mark when he said this. I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like. And it's terrible. He got it. You see, guys, let's first look at man's character. It is depraved. Did you guys catch that in verses 10, 11, and 12 there? As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. So in verse 10, guys, Paul's not talking here about, you know, the FBI's most wanted or Al-Qaeda's terrorist list. This is all of mankind. Are you guys getting what he's laying down here? All of us. And he says, nope, <laughs> not one. Absolutely no one is a righteous. Guys, no one is righteous apart from Christ. No one. So when verses 11 and 12, okay, in our natural sinful state, we can't truly understand the things of God. We can't pursue relationship with Him. None seek after. We can't stay on the right road. Okay? Turned aside. We can't stay pure. The word unprofitably literally means we've turned sour like milk. Look it up. Okay? And we can't do good. We can't. Do good. What does that mean to do good? Not that an unsaved person can't do acts of virtue. They can. I see people don't, who don't know Jesus do it all the time. Okay? Serving at the pantry for over a decade. We've had a lot of non-believers come to help out. And I love that they're there. I love it. They're doing a lot of virtuous good things, right? But the point is, guys, Paul is talking about good as God defines good. And that's different. You understand? 
Jesus said to the rich man, Why do you call me good? No one's good except who? God. And that's the goodness that God is talking about. That is the goodness that is required of us. So we move on to man's communication. That is depraved. You guys look at verse 13. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now from universal to personal here. He shows no part of our person is unaffected by sin. Look how much he emphasizes places here of our speech. What we say, right? Our lying, our cursing, gossip, idle talk, bad jokes. They just reveal that sin's camping in our hearts, right? Didn't Jesus say that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak? So their speech is like the odor of an open tomb. Talk about some gingivitis here, right? (laughs) Woo, stinky. Um, The third that we'll look at here is man's conduct is depraved. Their feet, we're told in verse 15, are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Sin is also manifested in our actions, is what Paul is saying. What we do. It causes man to murder, destroy the lives of others, to live without peace, to reject God instead of fearing God. Do you guys know what the leading cause of death is in our country? It's still abortion. It's not COVID-19. It's abortion. The deadliest place to be is in a mother's womb. Guys, that should be the safest place for any child to be. And how scary the hands that have taken an oath to preserve life are murdering. Last year, guys, churches are closed, but clinics are open because death is essential. Condemnation of mankind is just. Don't think it's not, guys. Open your eyes. If you bought into that lie, it's because you have chosen to be ignorant. You're ignoring what's going on in our own backyard. Yes, our own backyard. Right here in this community. In this country, greatest country that's ever lived, by the way. The freest country that's ever lived. The most blessed that there's ever been. Right here. And please know, guys, if you've partaken in a murderous action, there is forgiveness in Christ. Don't miss that. God can forgive any sin. My youngest... Let me pull this up. Turned eight this week. 
man, what a gift Shalom has been to me and my family. This girl is full of life. If you don't know her, spend five seconds with her. <laughs> you see, man, life. Children are a blessing from the Lord. That's what the scriptures declare to you and to I. Um, I don't get it, guys. I just don't get it. I don't. Abortion is barbaric. That's what it is. We're evolving. Don't you get it? You Jesus freak, you Bible thumper. You conserv- I'm not a conservative. I'm not even a fundamentalist. Let God be true in every man a liar. I don't care what man thinks. If it doesn't line up with what God says, I want nothing to do with it. Period. God is right. We're not evolving. We are devolving. This same stuff has been going on for thousands of years, guys. Don't think we're getting better. We, Jesus is the answer, guys. He's everything. Boy, my heart's overwhelmed. The world looks for answers. And we, the church, 1 Timothy 3.15, are called to be a pillar of truth in society. But the world looks in at the church, the body of Christ, and what do they see? We're just like everybody else. We will gossip, we will slander, we're not going to honor anybody God tells us to honor. We're going to be like the unbeliever. This is the church, guys. Man, just this last year, an older brother in the Lord one that I was excited about finishing well, a man I looked up to, I loved reading his books, dies and all this stuff comes out about his personal life, the secret sin that's in his life. That hurt personally because I loved this man. I respected this man. I loved how he shared Jesus with unbelievers. I wanted to be like that This last year, I went to a conference not far, Chicagoland, and another brother, a pastor, celebrity pastor, written many books, holds one of the largest conferences in the States. He too falls this last year. And then there's a Jerry Falwell Jr. Ridiculous. Like, all this last year, And the world looks and says, what's wrong with the church? It's our character. Because we don't do what the word does. We're just like the world. But we're doing the name of Jesus. It's right. Thus, it's okay to act like them. This is what the world has a hard time comprehending. This is why the world is not willing to come. The world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Wait. Are you, is that real? 
Are you sure, Jesus? Because I see a whole lot of hate coming from my brothers and sisters. And if you guys could look into my heart and see the hate that's there. I don't like it. Because it does not exalt. It does not glorify my king. It does not paint a right picture of him. And the hope that we want to put into one another, into another man. Knock it off, guys. This man, that party is not going to save us. Jesus is going to save us. Stop playing in the mud. Do politics matter? Yeah. God's calling you to do it. Do it for his glory and honor. But do you understand we as Christians... Do you understand that the gospel transcends politics, transcends all things of this life? And Satan wants us down playing in this junk. No, we are called to a higher standard. You want to fight the good fight of faith? That's where it's going to happen. If you want to live truth, that's where it's going to happen. It's with him. Because what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 3, this is the heart of fallen sinful man. But we've been redeemed, guys. We've been set free. Our citizenship, it's not here any longer. Okay? We got a new home address. We're just passing through. And I don't know about you guys, but as I'm going, I want to take as many people with me as I can. Okay? I don't see in the scriptures where it tells me to fight for freedom. What I read in the scriptures, Christ has set us free. That's what the truth declares to you and I. Have you received that truth and do you live in that truth? Because here we trip about our freedoms and we want to fight for our freedoms here and now, but the problem is we are the freest people who have ever lived upon the planet and we're tripping out about our freedoms. Saint, you are free in Christ. Live in that freedom. We are called to the gospel. We are not called to fight for freedom. That's already been fought for. The victory's already been won on the cross. We are to go to make disciples. And if we're playing down in the mud, who's going to get saved? They're just going to get more angry and pissed off at us because what are we doing? We're being just like them. They don't have truth, guys. We are to point people to the truth. That is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Can we speak to the fallenness of man? Absolutely. We share with every man. You got a problem. You have sinned against the living God. You have fallen short of his glory. You are not good. And then we have the privilege of sharing the rest of the story. We get to share Jesus Christ, guys. People are fighting for life. People are fighting for life. Satan just wants to kill. That's all he wants to do. He wants to destroy you. He wants to rip you off. Last night as I was going to bed, I got a message. Uh, Michael, a newer believer, in the Lord, he's part of our church family here. Uh, he sent me a message, I'm not going to be at church, taking his little baby boy down to the NICU in Milwaukee. 
My son needs serious care. He's not breathing. He could die from this serious stuff. And there's Michael, dad, trying everything he can do to help save his son. Pastor, please pray. And I know he was sending out messages to others that he knows that are in the Lord. Please pray for my son, Chancellor. He's not well. And they had him on oxygen all night and they had to keep up in it. He's just not doing well. So Father, we just want to take a moment, pray for Chancellor together as a church family. Just pray for this little guy. We ask your healing hand upon him. Thank you so much that Michael has come to know you and he's put his faith in you, that he trusts in you. We pray that your heart, your, your, your spirit, which is guard his heart and his mind, that you would give him peace. Lord, be with the family. Uh, we just lift him up to you. Amen. So I don't get it, guys. Their feet are swift to shed blood. We fight for life. We're willing to do whatever to stay alive. But yet there's death all around us, and we're okay with that. Wow, you guys like to preach. Let's, let's do a recap. Okay, total depravity here. You guys see this? Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that the all, whole world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. Nor by the law is the knowledge of sin. So guys, uh, not <laughs> we're all as bad as we possibly be, can, but it's we are sinful through and through. That's what he's saying here. You guys get that? Okay, Addison Leitch said this, the color of sin, if it were blue, every aspect of us would be some shade of blue. You, you guys get that? So it deals with extent, okay, more than degree. Uh, our, our nature, that's our nature. That's how we were born. Uh, <laughs> we are morally uh, ruined at the very root. You guys can jot down Psalm 51, verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So it means that we're utterly incapable of taking one baby step towards God without his miraculous grace. How are you guys saved? By the grace of God. You understand that? It's his grace. Um... I'm thirsty. <laughs> this bottle has not been opened yet. Okay, this is pure drinking water. Okay, if I grab some raw sewage and just put a couple little drops into this, would you drink it? No way. No way. But we could shake it up good. We wouldn't even be able to tell that it's in there. Right, guys? It might look pure, but <laughs> it's dirty, okay? Um, it's contaminated through and through. The pollution is there. No part left unpolluted. And there is no way that you can purify yourself. You guys get this? We can't do it without undergoing some kind of outside purification process. And we know who that is, right? So... 
Wrapping this up, guys, verses 10 to 17 really laid up to this final um, culmination and condemnation that all comes to verse 18. There is no fear of God in their eyes. No fear of God in their eyes. The fear of God is completely left out of their thinking. Man, that sounds like our culture. It's hard, guys. That's our culture. I don't find it on the TV I watch. Certainly not on the news I watch. I have a hard time finding conversations with others that will talk about God. We'll talk about anything else. Catch it even after service. What will you talk to people about? When you talk about Jesus, what he said, or how quick are we to start talking about everything else? Guys, that's our culture, man. You guys understand how messed up our culture is? Okay? It's kind of like we're in a big pool. <laughs> we're a bunch of fish swimming around, and the culture is a mess. All this water, all this around us that we're living in. But that's all we know. That's all that we've ever known. It's all that we see. And that's why the scriptures are such a radical call for us to be set apart. To be different as believers in this world. We should be radically different. Well, how does that happen if I can't even comprehend, if this is all I've ever known? You guys understand that there are cultural sins that we have even embraced in the church just because it's what we do? It's who we are? we got to allow God to renew our minds. Step in. I want to be a world changer. I want to be a part of God's mission. But how does that play? How does that look out? <laughs> work out. It doesn't work out wallowing in the mud. It's really getting on our knees, humbling ourselves, and seeking Him. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will drop into our hearts, into our understanding, things that are beyond anything we've ever known or seen personally. That the call to live as a Christian is going to be radically different than even maybe those that we have done life with in the faith over the years. I mean, let's show hands real quick. How many of you guys would confess that there are things in your life personally that you've given to yourself to that God has told you you need to give up? Just be set free of that stuff. Move on to other things, mainly more of me, more devotion, more intimacy, more time spent with me, more time in your prayer closet with me, more time worshiping me and praising me. I think God has spoken that to each and every one of our hearts. But God, we have this. And this is what culture is up to. And this is what my church family is up to. It doesn't matter what your church is up to, what culture is up to. You do what God calls you to do. Okay? You stand before him and him alone. And that's not going to make people happy. When we preach the truth. What I'm speaking about this morning, a lot of people do not like this. Okay? It's not what I would choose to preach, <laughs> but it's what's needed. Every word of God, all of it, is given by him. And it's profitable for you and I. So, let's wrap this up. <laughs> um, you guys see how he's concluding here? It sounds like a courtroom, right? 
the accusation in verse 9, all are under sin. The evidences of verses 10 to 18, there are none righteous, no, not one. The courtroom setting there in verse 19, every mouth is silenced. And then the verdict, verse 20, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You guys see there, every mouth is stopped in verse 19, okay? That is worldly guilt. We're all worldly. And then verse 20, the law reveals sin, but doesn't wash any away. So what's the purpose of the law then, pastor? Why do we have it? Why is it important? Well, to guide conduct, okay? Not to provide the method to stand before God in our own righteousness. And guys, we have to end here today. (laughs) But it doesn't end here. Praise God, okay? There's much more the next time that gets really good for you and I. But for as it ends for us here, God, as the judge, okay, it's going to pick up next time. He's also the Savior. I love that. So he allows us to trade in our prison clothes for a shining robe of righteousness. So guys, it's your choice. (laughs) Will you choose to make things right with God? Or are you going to break the microscope? So Father, we are thankful for your word here this morning. Thank you so much that you came to seek and to save the lost. And we... As we've read here this morning, we are all lost without you. God, there is no hope. A whole lot of bad news. But then there's you, Jesus, who chose to leave heaven, to humble yourself, to become like us, to become that sacrifice. We are grateful and so thankful for that, God. Lord, we do marvel at your amazing grace. We are so thankful, God, that you are merciful to us as sinners. And we are thankful, God, that you, what you did on the cross, um, we're thankful, even though the verdict's out <laughs> and we've fallen short, that there is such a great salvation that is available to all who will call upon your name. And we pray that many would... <laughs> bow the knee, that many would cry out to you for salvation and that you would give us opportunity and place, Lord, to be about our mission, what you have called us to in making disciples. So would you please, Lord, give us wisdom uh, to walk in these days in which we live. It seems like it's getting darker and dark by by the hour. Uh, We know that we're really good at rejecting you or doing our own thing. Please have mercy on us, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.